Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Luke 15. One of the things that I'm going to try to do better on is not to say if you have your Bibles, because we're going to start assuming you'll have your Bibles, right? Can't imagine anything in our lives that would be more important than God's Word. If we think otherwise, then obviously I'm glad that you're here, because here's, here's the reality. You and I aren't on the same page. I also know that you don't believe that the Word of God is God's Word, because God himself said that there's nothing more sharp or more important in our lives than his word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Truth meaning the literally spoken, written word of God. I say it all the time. If you're new, you may have not heard this before, but every one of us has a God in our lives. But I only believe there's two. There's Yahweh or your way. There is no other way. You're either fully in love with Jesus letting his word change you, or you're not. There are people who think when they use the illustration of a baby, well, I'm like a baby, I'm just learning. Well, that might be true, but let me tell you something about a baby. It's not half baby. It's full baby, okay? Meaning this, you don't come to Christ by putting one foot in the water and thinking little by little you'll figure it out. It doesn't work that way. When you come to Jesus, you dive into the water. And then while you're in there, he's going to show you how to swim. He's going to teach you how to breathe. He's going to show you those things. The word's going to change you. But you don't gradually bring it in your life because I'm going to share something about human reality. You never will bring it into your life. We're not capable that's why the Bible says that resurrections don't happen if the person's still alive, right? You can't be redeemed if you're still breathing. The Bible literally says you and I have to die to ourselves and we get this new nature and he will show us in this new nature what it means to live. That's what salvation's really all about. It's about truly dying, surrendering yourself as much as you understand, but you're diving in the water saying, all right, God, I give up. And that's the, that's the beginning point. And then he begins to show you. The Spirit of God then becomes alive and begins to teach you and show you and, 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 and all those things. So uh, I'm really glad that you're here. I fear that what I just said is probably not what a lot of you grew up with. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, folks. You can care less how you grew up. doesn't matter if you have your name on a membership of a role somewhere. doesn't matter if your family took you to church. Salvation begins when you make the decision and die to yourself and say, I want to follow Jesus. That's Christianity. Anything less isn't. If you disagree, again, I'm okay with that. I'm not mad. I just realize we're not on the same page. And the word of God is not your authority. And, and I'm okay with that. I would just love that you would hope that you would somehow in the midst of your ancestry and your upbringing, stop for a moment and say, okay, let's have a conversation and let's look at what the Bible really says. Amen to that? I have authority in my life. It's Jesus. It's his word. And when that happens, could care less how the culture changes. I could care less how the culture changes. Just so that, make sure that if you ever quote me, I could care less 
about how the culture changes. I serve an unchangeable God. And the reason the culture changes is because we keep moving with the culture rather than standing on the promises of Jesus Christ. And the world isn't going to get better if we keep surrendering to the world. Don't care what the culture says. I care what the word of God says. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, I'm, I need to share something with you. And uh, if this bothers you, I'm okay with it. I, I will be the fall guy, okay? But we've been talking about the coming of a series this fall called At the Movies. Well, that is not going to happen at this moment. Uh, my, my heart is always to give God my best and to give you his best. And when something's not ready, uh, we don't want to just throw it out there. Those kind of things are so important to us and so important to me that I want to make sure that, that when we present that and you bring someone, if you will, uh, to the church, a lost person, a person that doesn't know Jesus, I want to make sure that all, all of the things are in order. Is that fair? So what I'm doing right now in its place is a series that I think is going to be truly just as valuable a series that we're going to talk about. Uh, let me just ask this. How many here would love to learn how to simplify their lives? How many have someone they know would like to simplify their lives? How many are married to someone that you'd like to see their life simplified? Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, how, about, how about this? How many would love to learn how to keep the first thing first in a world full of distractions? Is it fair? Okay. And then how many would love to know what it's like to really, really slow down? Just oh, some of you are going, no, how would you like to learn how to speed up your life so we can all watch you die? Okay. Um, I would love that. Okay. Let us know. Cause we'd love to shoot video and tell everybody this is not what to do. Okay. Right. We love examples like that, but we're going to do a series called literally personally, how do you manage your life according to the scriptures? And we're going to spend time starting right after Labor Day. And I want to really help with that because it really sets up where we're going. Right after the first of the year, we're going to talk about worldview. And what that means is, uh, why do I believe what I believe? And why is that really important in our world today? And I'm going to literally walk you through, uh, if you will, deep theology in a very simple way of why we believe what we believe. And so learning to take ownership of our lives is the beginning of everything. I say it all the time. Uh, marriage is not finding the right person. It's becoming the right person. But we don't even say that. It's becoming the righteous person. Folks, in this world, doing the righteous thing may appear to be the wrong thing. There's a lot of right things in our world that are completely wrong. But the majority are doing them and it appears to be right. God doesn't care about right. God cares about righteous, doing the righteous thing. And we want to talk about that. Why do I believe what I believe? How do we stand up in a torrent, a river that's raging and go against the current, but not in a way to be defensive, but to be loving and caring that our world can see something? Because I believe right now what you see in the world, some people see darkness. I see the greatest opportunity for light and to be Jesus right now. People are looking for truth more than they've ever looked for it before. And if the church doesn't know what they believe and stand on the word of God, they're going to get all of this confusion even more. And if you think things are bad now, if we don't get this right, I believe with all my heart in this generation, the next generation is going to see hell like you've never seen it. 
We're in a moment, a significant moment of time, and, and this should excite you. And the reason why is because you're not here by accident. I don't care how you came in the world. God has been on the throne forever and ever. He will continue to be on the throne. And God cares about lost, broken people. And so your birth was an appointed time by God for such a time. So you're here in the world in which you live because God's trying to do something that's bigger than you and I can ever fathom. He sees generations to come as he saw your generation, my generation, and made sure that you and I are birthed for such a time. So you either embrace that and go, okay, God is really up to something, or you keep looking at the world freaking out. But I don't want to freak out. I want to faith up. This is a moment in time. Amen? Amen. Come on. Amen? All right. If you got your Bibles, Luke 15. And I want to set it up with this. I don't know if you've ever seen all these church signs. They seem to be less and less, thank God. <laughs> you know what I think about them. You know, you drive by and you see these church signs and, and they, they, they're kind of, they're trying to make a message, a statement, right? Trying to have some fun at the same time. I'm just not sure the impact they're having, but, but these are some of them that I, I've, I've, I just thought were kind of interesting. For instance, this was on a church sign, having trouble sleeping, try one of our sermons. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, dear God, we should put that out front of our church. And you, amen. I like this one. God needs spiritual fruits, not religious nuts. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. All right. This one is really, I, this is really a good one. You think about our day today. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. <laughs> Amen to that, right? This, now, before I show this one, I, I want to set it up because I've been around church all my life. And sometimes I wonder, did, did they misspell here? Or was this an intended moment by a former staff member who wanted to appear like he misspelled? I thought this was great. Notice this. Anal convention. Lord, we just want to thank you. <laughs> I didn't get as much laughter, okay? <laughs> but I think he meant to say annual <laughs> convention. But I, I once saw a sign, it won't be up on the screen, but it was advertising one of those events. Now, I grew up United Methodist in the Midwest, and we had these all the time, you know, where all of the ladies, specifically the ladies, they would bring all their different crafts into the church and sell them, and they called it what? The church bazaar, okay? But this is what got posted on the sign. Church bazaar. <laughs> B-I-Z-A-R-R-E, okay? <laughs> which, which I think sometimes kind of says it all, doesn't it? Now, why am I saying all this? Because don't miss this. Whether something gets posted or not, whether it's inaccurate or not, my life, your life is a sign. And it declares to the world what we believe and or what we deem as valuable. Now, you don't have to like that. That's when you're going to have to square with God. Because I said it a moment ago, every one of us in this room has an eternal appointment and an anointing on our lives. 
Every human being that's ever breathed this side of heaven had eternal significance purposed by God. Now, whether you accept it or not, you will answer for it. So you don't have to like it. You just might want to figure this one out because you will square with it. Nobody in this room is an accident. Nobody in this room, your life doesn't matter. Nobody in this room is void of the fact that God purposed your life and you were birthed for such a time to make an eternal difference. And every day you get up, you're declaring to the world who God is and you will be accounted for it. You want to go out and hang with your friends and get drunk? Call yourself Christian? You will answer to God for that. You want to go around and accept all of the cultural values that want to be accepted because it fits in or you have a wayward child struggling, therefore you're sort of compromising in the fact you will be accounted for it. You want to put money first and chase it, you'll be accountable for it. Everything in our life was purposed by God. If you don't agree with that, then we really should close our Bibles and burn the churches down and throw them away and forget the whole thing and just go have some fun. But the reason you're in this room and the reason why people are mad at God and the reason why people are offensive when it comes to the name Jesus Christ and the reason why we keep taking him out of public places and the reason why is this, because in the soul of every created person is eternity. And you're either fighting with it or you're fighting against it. That's reality. That's truth. And every one of our lives is a posted sign. So here's my wonder. What does your sign read? If you could post out in front of this church on our sign, what would you want it to say? What does it say already to the world, regardless of what might get posted? And what are we saying to the world about a church called Celebrate? Now, with that being said, I want you to hold that thought. I want you to look at the screen and I want everybody to read Luke 15, verse 1 together. We're reading from the New Living Translation. In a moment, I'll be reading from the TNIV. But this is how the chapter begins. And I want everybody to read it out loud with me. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Just really think about this moment. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So now you know what a tax collector is viewed as. <laughs> tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen, to hang out with Jesus. Let me just say it again so you don't miss it. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, broken, wretched, judged by the world people, prostitutes, addicts, often came to hang out with Jesus. The world didn't like it. 
Because the next verse says the Pharisees and Sadducees were disgusted by this. They murmured, they gossiped, they complained. What are these people doing in our church? Is this what we're known for? Is it what you're known for? And maybe the greater question is, do you want to be known for that? I'm going to ask a question. Boy, I hope you wouldn't respond. I hope you'd keep the answer to yourself. I wonder how many of you think I spend too much time talking about reaching lost people and not enough time taking care of you. 23 years I've been here, you cannot believe the emails that I've had from people who've told me, you ought to care more about your sheep than you are lost people. Is that you sitting here right now? How come he's always talking about reaching lost people? What about us? What about my needs? I didn't know you had any because if you gave your life to Jesus, didn't he fulfill all of them? It's what we're going to talk about, people. Because see, this is what I want to be known for. It's exactly what I want to be our church's marquee. Precisely why I want our mantra to be to the world. And here's the words. There's hope here. Do you know why notorious sinners and the tax collectors and all the broken people often hung out with Jesus? Because he gave them hope. He gave them hope. That's why they hung out with him. That was his mantra. That was his marquee. It was all over his life. Everywhere Jesus went, he gave them hope. He told them they had value. He said that they mattered. Especially in a world that said they didn't. A world that was out for self. A world that was judging This is why they hung out with Jesus. And precisely what we're going to talk about this morning, a message I've entitled, Loving Like Jesus, It Gives People Hope. Amen to that? Amen. I, I'm going to ask you, how many here think our world needs hope right now? Okay, I, I think it does. If you don't, you need to know that we get a lot of complaint about the news. They disagree with you, even in the secular world. Let me, let me give you some headlines in the world. Suicide surge in hopeless Venezuela. These are recent headlines. Civilians in Israel, Gaza feel helpless amid new fighting. Right here in America, hopelessness and the increasing suicide rate among teens. In fact, according to the recent Harvard Youth Poll, ages 18 through 29, you know the kids that hang out on their cell phones all the time, the ones that sort of get the bad rap a lot, 18 through 29, recent, 68% of them say they have little energy. I hear people all the time, how come these young people don't want to work? Why are they so lazy? They're not lazy, they're hopeless. They're hopeless. So much easier to sit around with their friend. So easy to sit around and 
Just play a game. Put the headphones on, crawl into an abyss. 68% say they're, they have little energy. 59% of kids, 18 through 29, over half say they have trouble sleeping. What'd you do last night? Oh, I played games two in the morning. You ought to get some rest. They can't. See how, you see how Satan distracts? You see the symptom. God says, look at the cause. Look what's going on. You're watching the outside, but there's something going on in the inside. 52% find little pleasure in doing anything. 49% have poor appetites and or are overeating. 48% have trouble concentrating. So let's not focus on the problem on the heart. Let's just put a label on it. They're hyperactive attention deficit. Let's give them a drug. I vote we give them the drug of Jesus. 32% say they're fidgety to the point that others notice. So we give them a fidget. That ought to cure it. 28% of our kids right now in this country have thoughts of self-harm. I want, I want to tell you a story, and I want you to hear this as we set this up. I read about a man who had spent many summers in the state of Maine. He was telling his dinner guest of his experience in the little town of Flagstaff. He told them that the town was to be flooded, something they couldn't help it, as part of a large lake expansion as a dam was being built. It needed to be built, but they couldn't do anything. In six months, the town would be flooded. But the dam would be completed. Things would be okay. Thus, in the months before it was predicted, you can imagine all the improvements and repairs throughout the town were stopped. You see, their attitude was, what's the point of painting my house if it's to be covered with water? Why repair anything around town when the whole village would be wiped out? We'll fix things after the dam is built. So week by week, the entire town became more unkept, more gone to seed, more despaired. And then the man in front of his guests added these words, do not miss them. Where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. Let me say it again. Where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. We're going to talk about why we need to be a dispensary of hope. And then asking, are we really being that dispensary? When my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God said, and turn from their wicked ways. Can I tell you what wickedness is? Wickedness isn't necessarily Sin in action, it's the sin of doing nothing. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, put themselves before Almighty God, get a world theology that's based upon the Word of God, not upon our opinion of it. When my people humble themselves and pray and they seek my face and they pray daily because they understand the power of prayer because Jesus said nothing will happen without it. When my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, what did Jesus say? 
Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be taken care of. What did he say second was? He didn't. Because there is no second. Just first. I will heal their land, he said. When my people. The problem in this country is not the unsaved. It's not the evil of the world. It's the complacency of those who say they follow God. We have a purpose and a responsibility. That's why we're birthed and born. That's why we're here. The whole point of the gospel wasn't just to get you into heaven. It was to change our ways that we would want to bring others to heaven. No one here is beyond that. No one here is above it. And no one in this room is too late for it. Regardless of age. It all comes down to the fact. Are we going to be a man or a man of God? Are we going to be a lady or a lady of God? Because what the world calls a man, a man, I call, is sad. I don't want to be what the world calls a man. I want to be what God says it becomes to making one. This is our moment, folks. So if you have your Bibles, Jesus goes on and says, look at these notorious sinners. They came, they wanted to hang out with me. Do you not see it? They wanted to be around me because this was my signage. This was my marquee. This was my mantra. But just in case you don't get it, let me tell you three parables. And here's the first one in Luke 15, verse 3. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave? Notice they don't give it. He says, if you're a shepherd, you don't have an option. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Notice what he says. He doesn't say, doesn't he leave the 99 in the safe little place called the church where they have their little life groups where they all hang around their own little Christian friends and that's all they all have? And they have their little Bible studies in the block and they all go to the Christian concert and they all listen to Christian music? I don't leave them there. He says, no, I leave them out in the open country. I leave them out there where they're exposed because if they're really following me, they're going to continue to be light. That's what he says. By the way, the 99 want to be left because they know they really never are. The 99 are the ones that understand when Jesus went away. They don't just stand there for the rest of their life looking up in heaven saying, how can we do this? They understand that the Holy Spirit came in them and it's time to go and make a difference in the world. That's what the 99 understand. So they're not sitting around going, where's the shepherd? Where's the shepherd? Do you know why? I'm pretty sure that the 99 have left, one of them left the 98. So he's looking for someone. In the 98, he left the 97 and went and looked for one. And the 97 left the 96 because they're going looking for one. They're not sitting around singing Kumbaya. They're all going out and making a difference for Jesus. That's why they're in the open country. But look what he says. He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now watch this. I tell you. 
that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. In other words, when church people sit around going, what about me, what about me? I contend they're probably one of the lost ones. Because if they really are a follower of Jesus, they're not thinking about me. They're putting all their energy and rejoicing for someone who's lost that's now found. See, I, I've been around sheep, grew up around them in Nebraska. Family Kloppenbergs. I used to put up hay for them and they had a ton of sheep. And truth be told, they're not very smart. If you've never been around them, they're not very smart. Sheep aren't very smart at all. And then I discovered neither are we. See, some of you going, why do you beat us up? I don't know. I didn't call us sheep. God did. By the way, if we're so smart, someone explain to me why the world isn't better. <laughs> Maybe we ought to quit trusting ourselves and thinking we know best because we don't know best. The more we think we're on the throne, the worse things seem to get. Have you noticed it? Here's a thought. Maybe God knows best. Just maybe. By the way, here's a funny story talking about we're not that smart. Back in 2005, 11 people lined up outside the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Now, I've been there. Many of you know I walked the red carpet when we did the whole thing with Woodlawn and was out there. And, and so I know what that place is like. And I think about it because I'm picturing how this is unfolding. 2005, true story, 11 people lined up outside the Chinese theater in Hollywood 46 days before the premiere of Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Now, if you're one of those 11, do not raise your hand. 46 days, month and a half. They start lining up. They start pitching their tents, getting in line, beginning the long wait, sacrificing jobs, families. For Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. A month and a half, 11 people. And more and more joined them and joined them and joined them. Tell where there were hundreds and hundreds of people waiting for the premiere at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. And the day came when someone came up and said, you're at the wrong theater. <laughs> True story. Almost all of them never got in when they finally went over to the other theater. <laughs> Think about that. Why do I say that? Because a good shepherd knows this. When a sheep wanders off, they must act quickly or that sheep might die. So as it is in the first parable, catch this, a shepherd loses a sheep, or maybe better said, a sheep loses its shepherd. But for whatever reason, it's crystal clear to me, the shepherd has to go looking for the lost sheep. Are you ready for this? Because lost sheep don't go looking for the shepherd. That's why I struggle with people who keep telling me, we need to pray for my family. They're lost, they're lost. And I'm like, what are you doing about it? I'm just praying. Well, the word prayer is a verb. It's not sitting, waiting, it's in motion, it's doing. It's being a part of the solution and the answer. 
to ask God to do something, I think most time God's going, I'll answer it, do something. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why I gave you eyes, open them up, see what I see. That's why I gave you a mouth, speak the truth in love. That's why I gave you feet, go. Over and over, those are the words of statements about what it means to be a Christian. Go, do, be, see. Make things happen. How many here would agree that the word lost is a good word to describe many people today? Give me an amen if you agree. Lost in values, lost in morals, lost in direction, lost in purpose. It's interesting, you know that they're lost. They're looking for hope. And here's my first point. People need hope because they lose their way, people. And if you and I claim that we are the way, the truth, and the life, we know him. Are we pointing them to the way, the truth, and life? Because lost people don't find it. We're supposed to go and get them and show them. That's why we need to be a church that offers hope. Amen to that? Dispelling it because people lose their way. They just lose their way. I'm going to invite one of our young people up. This is the first time you'll hear him. This is Adam Russell. God's been doing a work on his heart. And he's going to share the next two points to you. Would you say thanks? Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Can we just jump back to these funny signs that Pastor Keith showed us earlier? Those are really funny. I found one that I think us here in South Dakota we can really relate to. Um, So can we put mine up here? What would Jesus do? He wouldn't be making meth. (laughs) Hashtag, we're on it. (laughs) All right, I want to give you our second point for today, so if you have your notes, go ahead and get those back out. The second point for today is people need hope because they willfully rebel. Can you say that with me? People need hope because they willfully rebel. There's a story in Luke 15 verse 11 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole story. I encourage you to if you haven't, uh, but I'm going to tell you what's in this story. Something that a lot of us have heard probably several times, but I want us to look closely. It's a story about the prodigal son. So there's a father, and he has two sons. There's an older brother, younger brother, and this, this younger of the two sons, he decides that I don't want to be at home anymore. I'm going to go live my life and do my own thing. So he asked for his part of the inheritance that he would normally get when his father dies. And his dad says yes and gives him that inheritance. And this younger brother, he goes off, parties it up, has fun, lives his life until all that money's gone. He wastes all that money, it's gone. And then to make matters worse, a famine hits the land where he's at. And he's stuck with his job where he's feeding pigs. That's the only thing that he could find to do. He's feeding these pigs. He's feeding them slop. And he's so desperate that at this point, that looks really appetizing. And he asks, can I have some of that? And no one would actually let him eat the pig food. And so being so desperate, he decides, wow, looking back at my father's house, even my father's servants have food. They've got bread on their table. They have food in their stomachs. What am I doing here? And so he comes to his senses and he decides that he's going to go back home. Even though he doesn't feel 
that he's worthy to be his father's son anymore. He decides it's better to be a servant in my father's house than to be here being this desperate. So he decides to go home. And on his way home, his father sees him when he's far off. He's still far away and his father sees him. And the father runs to him. He runs fast. And being a father myself, I know that if my son was lost, if, if he had gone away and he came back, I'd run as fast as I could. And so he runs, he embraces him, he kisses him, and then they throw a party and they celebrate. And fun fact, if you don't know, that's where actually the name Celebrate Church came from, is because they celebrated because the lost son came home. So what I love about this story is not the reality of the son in a broken world, but the heart of that father. While he was still off, the father saw him, which tells me that the father had been looking for him and watching all along. Listen, like the father in this story, God runs to us when we come home. And it's not so that he can catch us, because when you catch something, you can let it go, but God wants to capture us. He wants to capture us and keep us in his love. And I want us to be a church that's always scanning the horizon for those lost people who turn their face toward home. But in the story, there's also something that surprises me, is that the older brother finds out what's happened and that the younger son came home, and he's actually angry that his father would be so caring and so loving toward this younger son. And Richard Foster actually wrote, as the prodigal was lost in a far country, the elder brother was lost in his own father's house. Can I encourage you? Don't miss the party. Don't be like the older brother. And I'm not talking about a pity party. Don't, don't miss the party. When we become followers of Christ, it's no longer about us. So I want us to be that church that gives hope when people willfully rebel. Here's our third point with your notes. People need hope because they feel neglected. People need hope because they feel neglected. Luke 15, eight through 10 says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now here's the deal, back then, one of those silver coins it's not actually worth that much. It was worth about one day's wage. And so for us, we're like, well, what's the big deal? And this woman, to her, it was worth everything. So much so that she lit a lamp, she swept the house, she cleaned the house, did everything she could. She was desperate to find that one coin. And then when she does, she starts doing her favorite dance. It's probably a TikTok dance, I don't know. And invites her friends and neighbors over saying, rejoice with me for I have found my lost coin. You guys, all of heaven rejoices when one of his lost coins is found. And they're all around us, but unfortunately many Christians are doing nothing about it. In Nazi Germany during World War II, there was a small group of Christians who enjoyed their weekly worship. They enjoyed the preaching, the singing, the fellowship, they enjoyed everything except for the railroad tracks that brought noisy trains right behind the church. Shook the building. It was really noisy and distracting. And so the noise was always distracting, but one Sunday, that noise became disturbing. 
The train passed by. The worshipers heard cries coming from the train. They eventually realized these cries were the cries of Jews being carried away to concentration camps. Week after week, the train whistle blew, the Christians heard the, ra uh, the tracks rattle, and then the cries. Disturbed, they decide as a congregation, there's only one thing for us to do, one thing that we can do, sing louder. They would sing so loud that they couldn't hear the cries of these desperate people being carried away to their deaths. The cries were heard, they sang louder, nothing changed. Have we? Is it okay if I get a little vulnerable with you today? So a couple years ago, there's a friend of mine, and a couple years ago, I saw on Facebook, I was going through comment sections, which is not a good thing to do. <laughs> so I was going through the comment sections on Facebook, and I saw his name pop up. I hadn't seen, this, I hadn't seen him for several years, and I quickly noticed that it wasn't him commenting or being a part of this conversation. It was other people that brought his name into it, and they were gossiping about him. That really broke my heart, and it actually went so far that I found out there was a whole Facebook page dedicated specifically to gossiping and bashing him. There was even a subreddit. The younger people probably know what that is, just for tearing him down. And so I saw this, and I knew I need to tell him about Jesus. He needs hope. And so um, I prayed to God that, God, would you open up a door? Would you somehow connect me with him again so that I can tell him about you because he needs you so desperately? And can I warn you about something? Don't pray that prayer unless you're ready to step up to the plate when he answers that prayer because I believe that's the type of prayer that God's always going to answer. And so I pray that prayer Felt good about it. Not, not joking. Less than a week goes by. Me and my family are walking around our block. Guess who comes walking down the sidewalk toward us? <laughs> the guy that I prayed for. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> Thank you. And so I was excited because I had this opportunity to, to talk with him. We had a good conversation. And I found out he actually lived across the street and just a couple houses down from me. I'm like, well, that can't be a coincidence either, huh? <laughs> so I was excited. God answered that prayer. Then a little time went by. Life happened. I took time for granted. Got busy like we all do, right? And I just assumed that I had another day. I assumed that I had time to reach out to him. Church, I found out that he took his life. He took his life, and I hadn't told him about Jesus. See, I didn't take seriously how fragile life is. I didn't take seriously the urgency that we need to have when it comes to these opportunities that God puts in front of us. Because that might be the last opportunity you get. So who's that person that God's putting in your heart that you know needs Jesus? Who's that person you need to reach out to today because you know that there might not be a tomorrow? And then what are you gonna do when God puts them right in front of you? And can I beg you? 
don't make the same mistake that I did. And if you're sitting here today saying, I don't know who that person is, if you're brave enough to pray it, pray that God will show you because he will. He will. So here's my thoughts. Let's stop singing louder when we hear the cries of the neglected and actually do something about it. We have some coins to find, and God wants to use each and every one of you to bring the lost people home. I'm going to invite Chris to come out, and as he's playing, I just want to close from something I think most of us are familiar with. If you're not, I'd encourage you, if you have access to Disney+, Plus, you should go to the rescue that took place in Thailand back in 2018. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Twelve boys, a village soccer team and their coach, went into a cave to celebrate one of the boys' birthdays. If you're familiar with Thailand, it was in June, but starting in July, there'll be four months of what they call the monsoon season. It rains and it rains. We don't understand rain. As much as we think that we know what wind is, we can't even begin to fathom what it means in Thailand when it rains. You see, when it rains, the cave is closed. They live on limestone, which means that everything floods. Water comes in from all directions. And the rain came early. And these 12 boys and their coach got trapped inside the cave. In fact, 1.2 miles on the other side of the water. And it's continuing to rise. It will flood the entire caverns. So the Thai rescue mission was now presented with a unique challenge, knowing that oxygen would dwindle, food would be gone. Somehow they're going to have to maneuver through tight caverns, crevasses that are now filled with water, with children that don't know how to swim, let alone be able to put on any life support oxygen, whatever. Special underwater divers were called to help from different parts of the world, four to be exact. It took nine days for the divers to find the boys in their coach. Nine days, when you think about that. I try to imagine what it was like for these children little flashlights that now most have gone dead. In the darkness, I wonder what it's like to even sit for nine hours in the darkness alone, nine days. I can't imagine what it was like to be there knowing it's helpless, hopeless, coach trying to feed into them something positive. And all of a sudden they look into the water and they see this glow and a head pops out. 
But that was only the beginning of their problems. You see, prior to those nine days, just a few days into it, four of the pump specialists, as they were trying to pump water out as much as they, it was coming in, they got trapped. They had fallen asleep in exhaustion and didn't know that the cave had filled with water. So when these four professionals popped into the first, what they called stations, where there would be a room, four men stood up. They would only be, and they knew they got to get them out quickly. They would only be under the water less than 30 seconds. But these divers had extra, if you will, apparatuses to be able to give to them, but no mask. For less than 30 seconds, they could have swam it, most of us thinking they could have done it themselves, but this wasn't normal for the people of Thai. All four men fought them, banging against walls in the darkness of the water for less than 30 seconds, and they got them all out. And they knew that these young boys would be under the water for hours. When they came out, they knew that they couldn't tell everybody they found the boys because they knew that the boys would die. They came up with something that had never been done before. Four of the world's best. One of them consulted a doctor friend and said, what if we injected them and put them to sleep? We created masks that would fit around their face and we would drag the boys through the water at each one of the stations, each one of us taking them a little bit further, making sure they're still asleep. If it happened to inject them more, we would. The doctor said there's a high probability that the boys will die. You're not a trained professional. What if you give them too much or too less and they wake up? But they had no other choice. It would take eight days for them to rescue all the boys, of which they did, all 12, and the coach. Four of the world's best, one of the world's best would die in the rescue. The most significant loss in the rescue. More than 900 police officers, over 100 divers, though four were the main. Thousands of volunteers from 10 different countries would come together to be involved in the efforts to find and free these boys. 17 days. Why are we not that? Why do we sit around getting mad at each other because something I said or somebody else said? I mean, this might hurt your feelings, but they're 12 kids, they die every day. Is it worth the millions of dollars to rescue them? Evidently so, but all the lost people in Sioux Falls that are dying going to hell, People are lost. 
I don't think we understand. How many of your family members, if Jesus decided to come back right now, would go to hell? Friends, colleagues that you say are workers. People are angry and hurting. That's why they willfully disobey. That's why they're choosing to where they're at. They're mad at God. They're trying to figure out why. I don't understand. People feel alone more than they've ever felt. The pandemic revealed it. And I've said it before. Why are we reacting to this pandemic? Why? How come we didn't react this way before it for the name of Jesus? How does something like a pandemic rattle our world, but Jesus didn't? People need hope. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. There's lost sheep, lost coins, lost people. People that are willfully rebelling because they're hurting, they're broken. They don't understand why. People that are just lost, they don't even know they're lost. They're just out wandering around trying to figure this thing out, chasing whatever they can. There's people alone. People that feel neglected. Like a lost coin that may not seem like a big deal to us, that's how they feel, like no one cares. God, it's so easy to play church thinking it's about sermons that we like and songs we appreciate coming together when it's convenient, but there's a desperation and an urgency. People need you. Do we believe a lion's coming? Are we waking up realizing it? God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I pray that today there's another wonderful picture with Adam of these young people that went so bad for their generation to know you. If they only knew the young man that was standing here, how ridiculous it is for him to be standing here when they, if they knew how he was wired. But he said yes because you matter. It's not about him, his comforts, his wiring. It's about the name of Jesus. So God, may that be our church. As we press into another year this fall, kids back in school. God, I'm tired of children being shot. I'm tired of the news expressing people being persecuted because of color. I'm tired of politics dividing and separating. God, but in our exhaustion, instill in us not an attitude to give up, but a heart to rise up for such a time and be people of hope to a world that needs hope. 
And if you're one of those persons right now that says, I need hope, just pray these words. Jesus, I need you. I want you. God, I want to know my life matters. I want my life to matter. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for dying for me. I give you me. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.